The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, the Lord, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave, that same one, he went out, and coming upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A recent survey found that 80% of psychiatrists would treat someone suffering from depression with an antidepressant drug. But only about 40% of those same psychiatrists would give themselves the same medicine. The other 40% would take the path of watchful waiting, perhaps changing diet and exercise or changing other uh, lifestyle uh, attitudes and seeing if the depression would just work itself out. Now, I am not a doctor or the son of a doctor, and I have never paid a doctor or played a doctor on TV. So maybe it is normal for the experts in a field to treat patients or clients or subjects differently than they would treat themselves. But at a glance, it seems strange to me. Not only strange, hypocritical, dangerous even. After all, in the field of science, don't we have some kind of objective standard by which we can know if medicines work or not? Don't we have placebo trials and whatnot? It's not just kind of a guessing game, is it? Sure, every situation is different, and there are always room for variables, but is it not telling that half of the time, not exactly a you know statistical anomaly, doctors will choose something different for themselves than what they would for a patient? What might the motivations be? Well, it's probably a lot more work to go the wait 
you know, watchful waiting approach, right? Need to check in more often, see how they're doing. Maybe they're afraid of a lawsuit. Maybe they want to be able to say in a courtroom one day, I did everything I could as fast as possible to treat the patient. It's not my fault something went wrong. Maybe there are financial incentives to hand out pharmaceutical drugs. Whatever the reason, uh, I just don't know how this is not some kind of a double standard. There's something that is good for you, but something else is good for me. And this is just one more symptom of the age in which we live, an age where the truth is increasingly fudged or altered or ignored altogether. In such an age, double standards will become the norm. It will be the only standards we have left. If a society does not freely and voluntarily choose to pursue the truth, well, then we will simply resort to the acquisition and use of power. This will result in double standards all over the place at best and violence at worst. For example, for some, the crimes of theft or drug possession will get them years in prison. But for others, it will only get them a slap on the wrist. Cities will spend millions of dollars on bike lanes purportedly to get carbon out of the air to prevent climate change. But one celebrity on a private jet to a global climate summit spews more carbon into the atmosphere than all of those bikes in that one city can offset in a year. So normal people ride bikes in the heat, in the cold, in the rain to save the environment, but the environment-saving celebrity lives high on the hog. That is a double standard. Shoplifting is killing retail business. Uh, it's about $100 billion lost every year now. This has a cascading effect, of course, on neighborhoods and standard of life because when retail areas close down, well, they become, you know, more dangerous neighborhoods and so forth. And yet, it just seems like no one seems to care. I think the retail stores are just going to lock everything up, you know, in steel cages, and if you want something, you have to go and politely ask for it. But if you don't pay all of the taxes, which you are obliged to pay, well, then you better hire a team of lawyers if you hope to stay out of jail. Our federal government can rack up $2 trillion of debt every single year. But if you don't pay off your credit card fast enough, your credit's going to get ruined. Might be hard to buy a car in the future. If a local business goes under, oh well, too bad, so sad, thanks for serving us for 20 years. But if a massive hedge fund, you know, loses money, well, it's too big to fail. That is an intolerable way of being. It is corrosive. It is acidic, community-killing, trust-destroying. A society with no trust in the process, with no hope that justice will be fairly and equally distributed, becomes cynical. And I'm sure I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know and haven't already seen for yourselves. You can see as well as I that entertaining these kinds of double standards favors the powerful, and punishes the weak. 
But the good news is that it doesn't have to be this way. This is not the kind of world that God intended for us. This is not what the law of God allows. This is not what the gospel of God describes. No, in a world that is molded and fashioned by God's law and gospel, we speak, we seek a single standard of justice. One developed by broken-hearted men and women who seek the truth above all. They apply God's standards to every area of life. When they receive grace, they go on to share that grace with others in their life. They think of others before themselves. They gladly sacrifice for others to bring about a better world. The man at the heart of Jesus' parable is living a double standard. He had one standard for himself and another standard for his fellow slave. The standard for himself says, sure, forgive me of 10,000 talents, which was like 10 gazillion dollars, you know, because I deserve it, I guess. Maybe the king was mean. We hear that in another parable. Well, the king is mean, so I, I deserve, you know, I deserve whatever I get. Or maybe the king has enough money. What's 10,000 talents to a king anyway? Rather than being humbled by the act of being forgiven, he was entitled and greedy. And he took that attitude back home when he sees this fellow slave who owes him 90 denarii, and he demands that this man go into debtor's prison to pay back the debt. Now, I think the theological application of this parable is fairly clear, which is that we are great sinners. We have sinned in word and in deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone. God's holiness is so vast that our debt to him as sinners is simply too great to pay back. It is like 10,000 talents or 10,000 lifetimes worth of labor that we owe to God. But God, in his mercy for you, sent his son who died on a cross for the forgiveness of that debt, for the forgiveness of your sins. Thanks be to God. And so therefore, when we hear this good news, we go home rejoicing and we share the fruit of that forgiveness. Knowing that we have been forgiven of our great sins, we can forgive our neighbors who sin against us. And then we create a different kind of world from the one that is depicted in the parable. One where we do not just take and use and judge and manipulate, but one where we live as free people who want that same kind of freedom for others. One where we don't use one standard for ourselves and another standard for others. So we must do an inventory, for it's not a question of if, but to what degree we are like the man in the parable. To what degree do we use one set of standards to judge ourselves and another set of standards to judge others? In our prayer life, this is a question that we must have the courage to ask. Are we consistently applying the same standard to ourselves that we apply to others? We must hold ourselves 
to that high standard, which, by the way, is rooted at least in God's law, the Ten Commandments, if nothing else. As a community, then, of Christians, we model and we uh, put this sort of behavior and lifestyle on for all to see. As Christians, we must become known as the people who are trustworthy because we do not fudge the truth. We do not lie. We demand from ourselves the same things that we expect from others. And from there, we can influence the culture. We support those who think this way, who live this way. We hold ourselves to a high standard to which others can aspire once they see the benefit. After all, a community that is committed to the truth and fairness and justice will be a community at peace. And when the world is tired of the bribery and the scheming and the lying, sees, oh, there's a group of people that's committed to the truth, maybe they'll say, well, maybe we should give that group a try. Maybe we should give that path a try, that way forward a try. That is how you rebuild a culture amidst a web of lies. We commit ourselves to being honest and to using this single standard, God's standard, and we expect the same from others. This is the path forward for a better future. It's not just electing any one person or anybody from any particular party, for in politics, if all you're left to is force, you have the same cynicism and distrust. No, the whole society must be overcome with the desire to set aside privilege and pursue a single standard of justice. Here's the good news. You have already been forgiven. You are the man who owes the 10,000 talents. It's no surprise to God that you are not perfect, that you need to be forgiven, that you have indulged in double standards of your own, but you have been forgiven through the trust and faith that you have in Jesus Christ. Go then and live a life as a forgiven debtor, not as a victim of circumstance. You are free. Go, therefore, and free others. Amen.